I'd invite you at this time to take your Bible and go to Philippians chapter 4. I'll be reading from Philippians chapter 4 verses 4 through 9 in just a moment. Um, And let's just kind of say what we've all been feeling. Life is not the way we thought it would be right now. Life is a lot different today than it was two weeks ago. And we're all struggling, let's be honest, getting used to the new normal. And we're all hoping that the new normal isn't normal for too long. I mean, day by day, things are changing, my brothers and sisters. New stats, new information, new precautions, new measures for containment and mitigation, new projections for where all this is going and when it might come to an end. And all of this is resulting in new reasons to be tempted toward fear and frustration, anger and angst, anxiety and impatience, not to mention all-out panic. We all may be responding to the pandemic in different ways and to varying degrees, but one thing is for sure. Church, we're all being affected by it inside and out. The extremes of how we might be responding can be illustrated by the following scene my friend Gib shared with me through a text message about a recent visit he had to the grocery store. Gib is a pastor in Memphis, Tennessee. Um, He and a couple of my other friends, we've been just caring for each other, encouraging each other, trying to find ways to to serve our church's best in these difficult times. And, And here's what he texted us. He said, after a grocery store experience yesterday, I have concluded that there are two types of COVID preppers. Standing in line, I saw these two people beside one another. First, a couple probably in their late 50s with two carts loaded down with canned goods. They were wearing hats, sunglasses, surgical masks, gloves, raincoats, and knee-high boots. I can't help but visualize a scene from Monsters, Inc. when the hazmat suit guys come in when there's been a contamination from being in touch with the human world. Uh, Maybe Monsters, Inc. would be a good thing to, to watch while you have some extra time. At least you'd laugh. But behind them, this, this couple, stood a younger woman, decked out head to toe in Lululemon workout clothes with a Starbucks cup in hand. She had one cart filled with eight bottles of wine and two cases of White Claw. (laughs) Whether you are more like the couple preparing for the apocalypse, or more like the young woman stocking up for the party, the fact is we're all being affected by the COVID-19 crisis and find ourselves somewhere between the extremes. How we respond on the outside to all that's going on around us is dictated by what's going on on the inside. Those who over panic and those who are over passive are both unhealthily responding on the inside to what's happening all around us. And the scriptures inform us that this is a time to guard our hearts and minds. A time to guard our hearts and minds because how we behave on the outside whether we please God or not in these days of uncertainty, all comes from how we're processing it on the inside. We do what we do 
because we think how we think and we feel how we feel. So how does God want us to respond to what's going on both on the inside and on the outside? And I believe, church, this is a providential moment for the church of Jesus Christ to reacquaint ourselves with the truths of Scripture that teach us how to relate to God in times of difficulty and uncertainty. I believe this is a providential moment for the church, for us, to consider God's instructions for leaning into his sovereign purposes for difficulty and uncertainty. And I believe that these divine appointments that we find ourselves in today are, need to be shaped, how we think about them, need to be shaped by what God's word says is appropriate as we interact with our instinctual emotions of fear, anxiety, worry, and acting out in panic. These are the moments, church, where we need to pick up our Bibles, think about what's going on around us, and say, speak, Lord. Your servants are listening. So in one of the scriptures that does this most potently in the New Testament is Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 9. And so I would like to direct your attention now and address the subject of experiencing peace over panic in the pandemic. Would you take God's word now and follow along with me as I read Philippians 4, verses 4 through 9. Let us hear the word of God. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Practice these things. And the God of peace will be with you. That is God's word. May he add his blessing to its reading and teaching by the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit. And my brothers and sisters, we desperately need his spirit. Amen. Amen. So here's the big idea we want to consider from this foundational text that shapes the way we respond to God and one another in times of difficulty and uncertainty. And here it is. Peace is not passive. It must be pursued. Peace is not passive. It must be pursued. How do we experience peace over panic in the pandemic, the same way we experience peace and panic in any other difficult and uncertain circumstances. The Apostle Paul teaches that it will not happen by accident. Peace doesn't just happen to us. Peace doesn't just magically arrive on the scene and overwhelm us with comfort and stability. Peace is not passive. Peace must be pursued. 
Notice at the end of this text in verse 9 that the peace of God that we all long for in the midst of difficult and uncertain times is attached to a conditional promise. Look at verse 9. Practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Here's the logic of that line. If you practice these things that Paul is exhorting in this text, then the God of peace will be with you. It's a condition. If you do this, then you will experience this. And the opposite is also true. If you do not practice these things, then the God of peace will not be with you. So you see, peace is not passive. It must be pursued. If you want the God of peace to be with you in times of difficulty and uncertainty, then you must practice what Paul instructs in this text. So let me make a couple caveats before proceeding into the details of showing how this text teaches this truth, that peace is not passive, it must be pursued. When Paul says, if you do this, then the God of peace will be with you, you have to understand that he's talking about encountering the God of peace experientially. So, he's not talking about God's presence generally. That is, God is omnipresent. So this conditional promise isn't what God's omnipresence is hinging on. He is at all places, at all times, in his entire being. The psalmist says in 1 Psalm 139, where can I go from your spirit and where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend up into heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you're there. If I take the wings of the morning and and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there will your hand lead me and your right hand uphold me. God is at all places, at all times, in his entire being. He's here with us right now. He's with you in your home. He's in your living room. He's in your family room. He's in your office. He's in your dining room. Wherever you are gathering right now, wherever you've been participating in our liturgy this morning, God is there. He's also in every hospital, guiding the hand of every medical professional and doctor who is who's laboring, laboring in this time of crisis. He's also with every single person who finds himself in quarantine as they're dealing with the fact that they have the the coronavirus. He is there with everyone in the world at this present moment. He's everywhere at all times in his entire being. Jesus told us, church, that he'll be with us always to the end of the age. So this is not a conditional promise about the general presence of God. It's also not a promise, a conditional promise, about God's presence spiritually, meaning God completely and totally indwells every follower of Jesus Christ. At this moment, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, the scriptures are clear about this. The Holy Spirit of God indwells your very soul. You could not be any closer to God than you are at this very moment, follower of Jesus. The Spirit of God is in you, sealing you, uniting you to the body of Christ, present to comfort you in time of need, present to convict you when you're going astray, present to guide you, present to help you, present to gift you and empower you for service in God's kingdom. This promise, this conditional promise, 
is not about the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. So then what is it talking about? Practice these things, and if you do, the God of peace will be with you. The God of peace being with you is speaking of God's felt presence. Paul makes it clear in verse 5 that the Lord is at hand. He's there. He's with you. But how will you know he's with you? How will you sense he's with you? How will you experience the peace and the stability and the comfort and the courage and the faith that comes from knowing and sensing he's near? That's the contour of God's presence that Paul is arguing is conditional. Sensing the peace of God that comes from encountering the presence of God is not passive. It must be pursued. That's why in other places of scripture, uh, one of the patriarchs, Jacob, would say, um, God is surely in this place, even though I didn't know it. This is why we're told in, in multiple Psalms to seek the Lord's presence and to seek it continually. He's omnipresent. He's always there, but we're to seek and to pursue his felt presence, his manifest presence. James says, draw near to God, the God who's already there, and he will draw near to you. This peace of God that comes from encountering the felt presence of God is conditioned on the instructions Paul gives in this text. Verse 9, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. My heart for you, church, is to help you understand the nuances of this conditional promise so that you can know the peace of God's presence as you, as we continue to walk through these uncharted times of pandemic in our generation. I want you to know that even though you may be socially distanced from me and from other brothers and sisters, and you may be stuck in your house, you may be sent home from work, you may not be able to participate in your education the way that you would prefer. I want you to know that although all these things have changed, one thing has not changed. The Lord is near, and you can know it. You can sense it. You can be aware of it, and in these times, know the peace that comes from it. So what are the these things in the text that leads to encountering the God of peace? Let me draw them out from the text in four points. I want to look at the restriction, the reason, the recourse, and the result. God's peace is not passive. It must be pursued. First, the restriction. Look at verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything. Ouch. <laughs> this is a prohibition. This is an authoritative command. Christian, you're not allowed to be anxious about anything. The root word for anxious is simply concern. 
to be concerned over a matter. Now, it's not necessarily unhealthy or unhelpful to be concerned over things. In fact, this is so helpful, this word is used, this very same word that's translated anxious is also translated positively concern in other places in the New Testament. Let me just give one example, and it's helpful. It's right here in the book of Philippians. If you look back a couple chapters in this letter, at chapter 2, verses, verse 20, Paul tells the church that he will be sending Timothy to come and care for them pastorally. And in chapter 2, verse 20, he says, For I have no one like him, that's Timothy, who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. In other words, Timothy is going to come to these believers and he's going to genuinely care for them as he's aware of their needs and leans into them by providing pastoral care, both in word and deed. He is going to feel genuine, healthy concern for their welfare. Paul is assured of this. He's not just going to do things that he has to do. He's going to feel for them deeply and lean into those needs. That's what the word concern means here. So concern in this way is a good thing. To be concerned about what's going on in the world right now is healthy. To be concerned about this crisis, this global pandemic is appropriate. To be concerned about your loved ones being protected is Good to be concerned for people that we love and care for who, who are in high risk categories is right. For one of our brothers here in the congregation whose wife is a doctor who is working close with those who have been infected with the COVID-19 virus, it is appropriate for him to be concerned for his wife. To be concerned about what this is doing to our nation, what this is doing to our families, what this is doing to our world is legit. These are truly concerning times. So where does concern cross over into anxiety? The word concerned in chapter 2 verse 20 is the same word translated anxious in chapter 4, verse 6. So how does concern, which is healthy, become anxiety, which is prohibited, restricted? The way we figure this out is context. And here's how we understand it in brief. Legitimate concern crosses over into inappropriate anxiety when we consider our concerns without also considering our God. Problems without legitimate solutions leads to panic. <laughs> when we encounter difficulties, when we experience suffering, when we process a problem and we don't consider how God is present to help, that's when we panic. That's when we become fearful. That's when we get anxious. That's when genuine concern becomes paralyzing anxiety. We look square into the face of a burden and we don't recognize that God is present to bear it. Legitimate concern crosses over into inappropriate anxiety when we consider our concerns 
without also considering our God? How do we know that that's the right answer? Notice second, the reason we don't need to allow our concerns to become anxieties. Notice second, the reason. Back up a phrase in the verse 5. The Lord is at hand. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, Paul writes. In other words, here is the reason you do not need to be anxious. Here is the reason why legitimate concern doesn't need to cross over into inappropriate anxiety. Here's the reason you do not need to fear. Here's the reason you do not need to spiral into full-blown panic. Here's the reason why you don't need to throw on your hazmat suit and buy all the canned goods in the city of Philadelphia. And here's the reason why you don't need to say, you know, who cares? Let's be passive. Let's help. Let's eat, drink, and be merry. Here's the reason why neither one of those extremes is necessary. The Lord is at hand. God is near. God is present. So why is that good news? Well, here's what's implied. The Lord is near. And since he is able to handle your legitimate concern, there's no need to be anxious. Anxieties come from considering our concerns without considering the presence of our God. Anxieties come from genuine concerns where we don't factor in the caring presence of God. So rather than letting your concerns tell you to be anxious, tell your concerns that the Lord is at hand. Because God is near, you do not need to be anxious about anything. That's a really interesting word in the original language. The word anything means anything. <laughs> Take that word anything and put in its place whatever's causing you anxiety at this moment. Take that word anything and put in its place whatever is causing you fear. Put in its place whatever's fueling your worry. Take the thing and put it in there. Do not be anxious about fill in the blank. Why? Oh church, the Lord is at hand. Christ has not left us hanging. He's not pieced out on the created universe that he is sustaining to the end. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious. So are you worried about losing your income? The Lord is near. Are you worried about losing your health? The Lord is near. Are you worried about losing your life? Not far-fetched. The Lord is near. All throughout scripture, the answer to our fears, the answer to our anxieties is always to direct our attention to the caring presence of God. So don't allow this pandemic to tell you to panic. Tell this pandemic that God is present. This is what the scriptures instruct us all over the place. Let me just give you a sampling. Joshua 1.9. Have not I commanded you? Be strong and of good courage. Be not afraid and don't be dismayed. Why? For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. 
Isaiah 43, verses 1 through 3, Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. Listen, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. Psalm 23, verse 4, which was a part of our Old Testament reading this morning. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. Because the Lord is at hand, church. And since he's able to handle your concerns, big or small, do not be anxious about anything. So what do we do? Instead of worrying, maybe you've been spending a lot of time being anxious, a lot of time being worried, a lot of time flipping through social media, looking for the next update, looking for the next thing that your friend is doing in response to the pandemic, looking for the next um, news update from, from, from the White House, looking for the next headline to give you some hope that this will all end and you're just so fidgety and panicky and anxious. Well, if that's what you've been doing all week, how can that be different? What should I do instead? Okay, I need to acknowledge that the Lord is at hand, good, but what else? Paul tells us. Third, notice the recourse. The recourse from anxiety. Notice what comes next. Let's back up. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but do this instead. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Because the Lord is at hand. I don't have to worry about anything. That's the restriction. But now, here's my recourse. From my worry, from my anxiety, talk to God about it. Pray. Don't worry about it. Pray about it. Sounds trite, but it's true. You say, Ian, these are difficult times. We don't need oversimplified answers. This is the Apostle Paul. And he says, in times of difficulty and uncertainty, acknowledge God's presence. Don't be anxious. And talk to God about your concerns. That's the pathway to knowing the peace of God that passes all understanding. Don't worry about it. Pray about it. Don't be anxious about everything. Rather, pray about everything. The Lord is near. Take your concerns to him. The Lord is near. Talk to him about it. Peter says it this way in his short epistle in 1 Peter 5 verse 7. Casting all your anxieties on him. Why? Because he cares for you. He cares about your concerns. He says, bring them to me. Bring them to me. So don't keep your concerns to yourself, church. That's how they become anxieties. Go vertical with your horizontal concerns. Take them up to God in prayer. Notice the various terms that are used here in verse 6 for prayer. It moves from general to specific. There's the word prayer. 
This speaks most generally of the direction of our hearts in prayer. We are taking our concerns vertical. We're taking the things that are difficult. We're taking the things that are uncertain. We're taking... In our context, this pandemic and all the fears and anxieties and worries and concerns that are wrapped up in it. And we're saying, okay, God, I'm bringing it to you. I'm not going to let it stay down here. I'm not going to let it stay in here. I'm bringing it to you. I'm going to talk to you about it. That's the most general term here, prayer. But then there's the word supplication. This speaks more specifically of the desperation of our hearts. What is a supplication? Well, it comes from the heart of a supplicant. What is a supplicant? A beggar. Someone who, who looks into their hands and sees that they're absolutely empty. I have no natural resources. I have no control over my circumstances. I am absolutely and completely dependent on someone else's generosity. I need the benevolent care of another. So we come to God vertically. We come to him in prayer. And as we come to him in prayer, we come to him desperate, empty-handed, saying, God, these concerns that are troubling my heart, these cares that are weighing me down, as I consider them, here's why I'm tempted towards anxiety. I can't do anything about it myself. I can't change it. I can't make it any different than it is. I heard one person say that through this present COVID-19 crisis, one of the greatest illusions that is being revealed is the illusion of our control. Here we are. Can't do anything about it. More and more people getting sick. More and more normal things that were a part of our daily lives are no longer a part of our daily lives. Places we want to go that we can't go. Things we want to do that we can't do. We have lost control, but here's the reality. We never really had it. We're supplicants. We're empty-handed. So we come to God like that. I need you. I can't do this. I can't carry this. This is beyond me. This is above my pay grade as a human being. Please help. And there's the word thanksgiving. This speaks specifically to our expectant disposition in prayer. We come to God empty-handed with thanksgiving. What's this mean? Seems a little weird to have this word thanksgiving in here. I'm supposed to be thankful before the thing I need is actually supplied. So we come to him with empty hands and we say, thank you. Why do we do that? Here's the reason why. Because as we come to him this time with empty hands, we come to him to where that in previous times we came to him with empty hands and he filled them. He's come through for us before, hasn't he? He's come through for you before, hasn't he? There have been times of desperation, times of, of smaller scale difficulties and tragedies and heartaches and heartbreaks and uncertainties that you've experienced as an individual. Do you remember? Think of them. 
And you, you went vertical with those things. You knew you couldn't carry them yourself. And you came to Christ and said, help. Can't do this. Can't carry this. It's beyond me. And what did he do? At the right time, in the right way, he came through for you. And he will again. Therefore, in this moment, be thankful. The God who has supplied your need in the past will surely supply your need in the present. We're thankful in prayer. Even when we are asking God to meet needs that have never been met before. Because his generosity in the past fuels our hearts with faith and expectation in the present. Church, this will not last forever. This present crisis, this new normal, as we hear many people talking about that we've been talking about, it won't be forever. Interesting phrase earlier in this passage, the Lord is at hand. That passage can actually be translated or understood in two particular ways. It can be understood, first of all, uh, that God is present in this moment. But that's also a unique language that's used in other places in Scripture to talk about the coming of Christ, the second coming of Christ. That Jesus Christ, who, who lived and died and rose from the dead and who was ascended on high, is waiting the day that the Father has chosen in eternity past for him to return and to judge the living and the dead and to make all things new and to gather his church in glorious resurrection. So here's what I can say with confidence to you, follower of Jesus. Even if this present crisis wipes out the face of the earth, even if this present crisis takes away half of our church, even if this present crisis does more than our hopeful politicians and medical experts have informed us on, here's what's in the end for you. Here's what's in the end for me. Resurrection. Oh, this, this moment, my friends, is putting our faith in the gospel to the test. This won't last forever. The coming of the Lord is also near. Jesus will vindicate his people and will make all things right again. So whether we are coming to him empty-handed, asking him to come through with thanksgiving in our hearts, knowing that he's provided for us in the past, therefore he'll provide for us in the present, even if, it's, even if it's not taking this away in our lifetime, what we can say with thanksgiving is even if the worst possible thing happens, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. That's not just a line we Christians rip out at funerals to make grieving people okay. It's what we need right now. If the worst happens to you, to a loved one, to me, to countless millions in our world, to 
And here's what we know to be true because of Jesus Christ. To be absent from the body. It's to be present with the Lord. So we should be thankful. Final prayer word here is the word requests. Let your requests be made known to God. This speaks of our desires in prayer. This isn't about informing God about our concerns he already knows. This is about expressing our concerns to God because he cares about our souls. He knows what we're weighed down with even before we talk to him about it. Jesus tells us that in Matthew chapter 6. Know that your father knows what you need before you even bring it up to him. This is about declaring your trust in God for the specific concerns you feel and participating in the freeing experience of releasing your concerns onto God. Like I said in other places, the word that's used for this particular motion in prayer is the word casting. Casting your burdens on the Lord. Casting your cares in the Lord. In other words, take them off of your hands and place them into God's hands. Psalm 55 verse 22, David says, cast your burdens upon the Lord and he will sustain you. So what's weighing you down right now? It might not just be what's going on in our world here. As I've been interacting with you, church, um, through text messages and phone calls and FaceTime and all of the creative means that we have to stay connected. As I've been connecting with you, there, I, I've heard that there are various things that are weighing you down. What's weighing you down right now? Prayer is an invitation to stop carrying that weight yourself. Let God carry what's heavy on your soul. And when you do, look at what happens. Finally, the result. Verse 7. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. There it is. That's what we're after. When we acknowledge God's presence, when we stop being anxious, when we go vertical, empty-handed with our concerns to the Lord in prayer, then the peace comes. Then the calm comes. Then the hope comes. Then the burden is lifted and the heart regains its composure. Then you sense the one who holds the universe in his hands is handling your specific concern in this time of need. Then the mind and the heart is guarded from panic. Isn't that what you want? It's what you need. It's what I want for me. It's what I want for Rachel and Payson and Piper and Silas. It's what I want for us. To know that because Jesus is above all and over all and loves us and is for us, in the end, this is all going to be okay. And this is not just some distant, fairy tale, hopeful way of thinking. No, no, no. Jesus is at hand.
Don't be anxious. Talk to him about what's weighing you down. And then when you do, here's what you'll know. He's at hand. He's there. He's got this. He's got you. Paul says it defies logic. It surpasses understanding. It doesn't make sense. Why does it not make sense? Why does it surpass understanding? It's because this peace doesn't wait for things to get better. It comes because we trust the one who's able to make it better. So, coming back to where we were at the beginning. Verse 9 gives us a conditional promise. Practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. What are the these things? Simply put, acknowledging God's presence, resisting anxiety, and pouring out our hearts to God in prayer. Those are the these things. Those are these things that we do on our own. These are the, these things that we do together. That's why we're having these prayer meetings throughout the week. We, we need to pour out our hearts to God together. You want to know and sense and feel? Use that word. It's okay. God wants you to feel he's near. How do you sense it? How are you assured by it? How are you comforted by it, church? Acknowledge he's there. Resist. Resist your concerns becoming full-blown anxieties because he is there. And then pour out your heart to him. Empty-handed, with thanksgiving. Tell him the specific concerns that are weighing down your heart. And then the peace will come. One final thought. Notice that the peace of God is found not theoretically, not nebulously. This peace of God is found in Christ Jesus. And the peace of God that surpasses understanding will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. The peace of God must not be separated from the God of peace. And the God of peace is none other than the Prince of Peace, the one who is our light and our salvation, the Lord Jesus Christ. So experiencing this peace is not a magic formula. It's not a scientific process. Follow the steps. Acknowledge step one, acknowledge God's presence. Step two, resist anxiety. Step three, pray. Okay, where's the peace? God is not a vending machine. For this peace to be experienced, you must be in Christ Jesus. What's that mean? Theologically, this is talking about union with Christ. Or said another way, being in relationship with Christ. You must be in relationship with the God of peace in order to experience the peace of God. And Jesus Christ the Son of God did everything that needed to be done to bring us into union, to bring us into relationship with the God of peace. So that in times like these, the peace of God can flood our souls 
with the specific difficulties and uncertainties we're dealing with because we know that he's already settled the greatest peace that ever needed to be settled in our souls when he left heaven and came to earth and did for us what we could not do for ourselves. He lived the life we could not live. He died on the cross, the death we deserve to die. And he rose from the dead so that all who turn from their sin and trust in this prince of peace will know the forgiveness of sins, the covering of their shame, the removal of their guilt, so that they no longer have to be separated from God. They can be reconciled to God in relationship with God in Christ Jesus. There's no way to experience the peace of God in these tumultuous times without being in relationship with the God of peace. And the only way to be in relationship with the God of peace is to put your trust in Jesus. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for sending Jesus to be our prince of peace. To take the enmity that existed between us and you and make a way for those of us who are once far from you to be brought near to you. Thank you that in relationship with you, the greatest experience of peace takes place. Our relationship with you is healed Our promise of being with you forever is settled. Our sins are forgiven. Our shame is covered. Our debt is paid. And then more than that, this Prince of Peace who reconciles us with you, Father, through his life, death, and resurrection is also the one who ever lives above to help us in time of need. And even though he's ever above, by your spirit, he is near So help us to believe, help our unbelief, help us to believe that Christ is near. We don't need to be anxious. And help us as a church, both corporately and individually, to pour out our hearts in prayer together, trusting in you to take the weight of our concerns off of us and take care of them in your time and in your way. Oh God, teach us that your peace is not passive. It must be pursued. And may we pursue it for all it's worth by pursuing your son, Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen.